This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. And has this been has this been something where you're learning, you know, things that you can practically use and things that you can apply to everyday life? Um, when I first thought of this, you know, this love does what love does. Um, I thought of when I was, and I can't believe it's almost 40 years ago, but when I was a freshman at the uh, University of Connecticut in uh, 1984, and I remember that I went and they had a, there was a survey that all, they asked all the students to fill out in the beginning, uh, you know, when you're first there, if you wanted to have someone come and talk to you about God. And uh, I you know, I felt I was a, a religious person at that point, and I said, sure, I'd, I'd welcome somebody to talk to me about God. And uh, shortly after that, as, after I filled out that, that, um, that survey, someone from Campus Crusade for Christ, did you ever hear, anybody ever hear of Campus Crusade for Christ? <clears throat> well, they're a very, uh, they've been a long-standing uh, organization, and they, um, they engage students to tell other students about their relationship with Jesus. So I had uh, two gentlemen come, and they uh, were, you know, they were sharing Christ with me, and I was listening, and as I said, they were, it, was, it sounded different because it didn't sound what I always thought of as, a, a, you know, religion. It, it sounded to me more like they, they really knew Jesus. And as they went on, and I welcomed them for, you know, several more visits. After time, as I got to know some of the other, you know, some of the other students on the floor, um, I realized that, you know, maybe this, or my friends kind of were leading me in another direction. And so after a while, when I would see these guys coming, my friends would kind of hide me away in, in one of their dorm rooms, and they'd go out and they'd tell these folks that I wasn't there, but sure, I was there. Well, this happened for several months after this, and I want you to know that, uh, and this young man's name, I, I do remember he was from Minnesota, and he was in the ROTC, and I tried to find out from my wife, who was also in Campus Crusade, but two years younger, I couldn't remember his first name. It was either Phil or Jeff, but I remember that he kept coming back, he wouldn't give up. Even being turned away, even when, uh, and I would watch this, you know, I would watch him knocking on the door of my, of my dorm room, and he would not give up. And that was my first glimpse of love that does. And specifically, love does whatever it takes because of his persistence, his commitment, I remember that, and I am convinced that his um, praying for me, his prayers, came to fruition about five years later when I gave my heart to the Lord. And I'm convinced that it was that young man, his commitment, his dedication, his perseverance, that ultimately paid off. Uh, and then fast forward a couple years, or I should say about five years after that, and now I am... Uh, my soon-to-be wife and my 
Uh, Mom and Dad are on our way to Otis, Massachusetts. Anywhere, anybody know where Otis, Massachusetts is? It's in the Berkshires, about 20 miles north of Winstead. And um, so I, I am a, I'm a cold weather person. I love the cold weather. And I was, was raised, we were skiing and skating. As, growing up, I played hockey. And I just love the cold weather. So we're going to Otis, and it was uh, in the winter. And so my, my wife, my, I should say Nancy, who was not my wife at that time, but my, I was courting her. And my parents were with us, and we went to this lake in Otis, Mass. And I was just having the time of my life. I was just spinning around. I was flying around the ice, loving it. And my wife, my, my parents said you could see her shivering on the ice as I skated around her as fast as I could. And you could see that she was literally, it was almost painful for her to be out there because you may not know this, but she doesn't really like the cold that much. And the truth of it is, my parents told me that they knew from that day forward that that was going to be my wife because of what she was willing to endure <laughs> to be with me. Love does whatever it takes. Amen? Amen. Love does whatever it takes. Oh, yeah. And... I do know that that was the, my parents told me, they said, we know that she's the one because there's no one else that would be willing to put up with that, but for the sake of love. And then um, one thing I want to do is uh, let's do an object lesson. Can we do an object lesson? And this is, how many of you know that actions speak louder than words? Now, everybody, if you would, make a circle with your hand, with your index finger and your thumb, okay? And I want you to put it on your cheek. So how many of you put it on your chin? Raise your hand. Actions speak louder than words, right? Right? Actions speak louder than words. And that's what we're here to, that's what I want to talk about. Love does. Because, you know, we can say we love somebody, right? We can say I love you. But where does the rubber meet the road? It's in what we do, right? Our actions speak louder than our words. And we're going to open uh, the message with a reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And how many of you are familiar with that? Those verses. I know that um, as a... As a pastor, I've, I've had many wedding ceremonies where I've shared these verses in 1 Corinthians because they're very important when someone is starting that journey of marriage. But let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1. And I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. The Amplified, because I think it gives us a lot more explanation of what these words mean, and they're very important words. 1 Corinthians 13.1 says this, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love for others growing out of God's love for me, then I have become only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, just an annoying distraction. And the apostle, Apostle Paul here, is explaining in the previous chapter, he says that, 
he gives explanation and detailed ex explanation about the spiritual gifts. Because the Corinthian church, they needed instruction on spiritual gifts. And they, were, they wanted these spiritual gifts. But he reminded them that the spiritual gifts are given to help each other. It's not for any other purpose. It's not as, as if it was you know, a status symbol to have a spiritual gift. So God gives gifts to each one of us. And they're different. We're different members of the same body. But all the gifts are important. But he said, in the very end of that chapter 12, he says, now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. So he begins by saying, if I speak with tongues, so this was, this was a gift, a spiritual gift that some in the church had. The ability to speak with unknown languages, whether earthly languages or heavenly languages. So this was a real gift it was, that was evidence of it in the church in, at Corinth. But he said, if I speak with these tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, and it's explained, that type of love is explained for others growing out of God's love for me. This is love in service to others. This is specific love towards other members of the body of Christ. If I don't have that type of love, growing out of God's love for me, realizing how much the price that was paid for my sin, then I have become only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, just an annoying distraction. <clears throat> now, I did have a brown bag, but I want you to know, last night on the way to church, my, my brown bag tore, and now I have a blue bag. And, um, you know, as I, as, I, as I thought about this, how many of you... And maybe you didn't do this when you were a kid, but now when, when I was a kid, it was uh, New Year's Eve, and we would go out at midnight, and we, you know what we'd do? How'd you like living next to that at midnight on New Year's Eve? But then it says, it's, it's, the scripture says it's what? It's, a, it's a, like a clanging cymbal, right? So I asked for special permission here from James, if I could do this. I want to see what this sounds like. Now, is that annoying if that was going on all night? Would that be annoying? Just like that's annoying, because I didn't have, you know, those symbols that you, you know, like that little monkey that goes like that. I, I, I should have, I was trying to find something like that, but I didn't have it. But the scripture says that even if we have all these special gifts, even if we have the gift, the ability to speak in human languages, all types of human languages, and all types of heavenly languages, it means nothing. There is no spiritual benefit if we don't have love. And then verse 2 says this, and if I have the gift of prophecy and speak a new message from God to the people, and understand all mysteries, and possess all knowledge. And if I have all sufficient faith so that I can remove mountains, but do not have love, which is defined as reaching out to others, I am nothing. I am nothing. So I may have all these gifts, being able to speak prophetically, 
having a word of knowledge, being able to speak unknown languages. And if I have all these gifts, I have discernment, word of knowledge, and I have faith so that I can remove mountains. And I don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. So there's, love is the critical ingredient to the operation of any of these spiritual gifts. Because remember, Paul said, the word of God says, that these gifts are given to help each other. Because you're all part of the same body. Verse 3 says this. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it does me no good at all. And that last part there, in some versions, it says, it makes no difference. It makes no difference. So imagine, you can, which you think to yourself, boy, if I gave all my possessions, and if I was willing to die for the sake of Christ, you're saying that that's not love? How many of you know that we can do some things with the wrong motives, right? I know that um, I was just at a conference in Orlando, Florida, for the company I work for. And towards the end of that conference, they, they partnered with U.S. Hunger, and we packed 100,000 um, meals for people in need, whether it was locally or whether it was, I think, the other country that was being, we were helping was uh, in Haiti. But, you know, at the end of that, all the people that were involved, and there was over 700 managers there doing this, but they were all taking selfies, right? They all wanted everybody to know on social media that what they were doing, right? And the Bible says that we shouldn't, our right hand shouldn't know what our left hand is doing, right? That anything we do in service for others or for God, we should do almost anonymously. We shouldn't bring praise to it. So the scripture says, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it does me no good at all. It makes no difference. And then verse 4 says this, love endures with patience and serenity. Love endures with patience. Is it easier to be patient or impatient? Impatient, right? And how many of you know that patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? Galatians chapter 5. And it says this in verse 16. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. It says, so let the Holy Spirit Guide your lives. Let the Holy Spirit, let, allow the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is in control of our lives, he produces this kind of fruit. And you can name them with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So the key in all of this is allowing the Holy Spirit to have control of our lives. Amen? Allowing, letting the Holy Spirit guide our lives. And it says, then you won't be able 
You won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So verse 4 again it says, Love endures with patience and serenity. Love is patient. <clears throat> and love is kind and thoughtful. How do you think? How do we express kindness? How do we express kindness? Say it again. By being kind. By being kind, right. If you're, let me ask you, do you have to think about somebody else to be kind? And it may sound kind of basic, but guess what? We have to take our minds off ourselves. We have to stop thinking of ourselves before we start thinking of others. Amen? What is the golden rule? What did Jesus say? Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Amen? And it's interesting, I, I was at this conference all week in, in Orlando and this large company that I work for, they rolled out these new culture statements. You know, that's what they do at these conferences. You know, they roll out these culture statements. And one of them is, we live the golden rule. That's what it is. We live the golden rule. And another one is, it's we over me. I just found that interesting that so much of a lot of what Jesus taught, they're actually teaching as how we do customer service. But love, real genuine love, is kind and thoughtful. Love is patient with people and gracious to them with generosity. Love thinks of others first and me second. And verse 4, continuing, it says, And it is not jealous or envious. What does it mean to be jealous of somebody? Admit it. Have you ever been jealous of somebody? Have you ever seen jealousy? How would you define it? Jealousy. Wanting, not content. Rainy, thank you. Wanting, not content. Not satisfied. Not happy with what we have. Wanting more. Jealousy. And envious. What does it mean to be envious? To boil with envy or hatred or anger. To boil. I can, can't you picture that? Can't you picture? Have you ever seen somebody boiling with envy? They want to settle the score. They feel that they've been cheated somehow. But love, genuine love, is not jealous or envious. And love does not brag and is not proud or arrogant. Have you ever heard somebody brag? Does it make you feel good? No? Brag. What is that? We brag. Yeah, look at me. Lifting up myself. I'm more important than you are. And, it, and love is not proud or arrogant. And these three words represent human pride. And love represents the opposite of pride. Love is humble. What does the scripture say? God resists the proud, right? But he gives grace to who? The humble. Amen. Love does not brag. It is not proud or arrogant. Verse 5, it's not rude. It is not rude. Has anybody experienced rudeness? Even today, maybe on the road. Okay? On the highway. Queen Street. On a Saturday afternoon. 
Do I have to go any further? I mean, we see this every day, right? <laughs> Love is not rude. It's not rude. Being rude is showing a lack of manners or consideration for others. Love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. Love never, never, never wants its own way. It is not self-seeking. It is not provoked. What does it mean to, to be provoked? To be provoked. You ever hear the term pushing somebody's buttons? Right? And, and somebody will say, oh, you're pushing my buttons. Or you want to get a reaction, just push their buttons. Right? That's being provoked. Love is not provoked. It's not overly sensitive. Love is not overly sensitive and easily angered. Be honest. Have you been easily angered in the past? What does this say there in James, right? It says, be quick to what? Hear. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. But if we're going to follow this, if this is going to be reality in our lives, we have to let the Holy Spirit have control. Let him have control. Allow the Holy Spirit to control our lives. So love is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It is not provoked nor overly sensitive and easily angered. It does not take into account a wrong endured. Love doesn't hold a grudge. Do you know what that is, holding a grudge? Right? I'm going to get even. I'm going to get revenge. Now, when my time comes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back. Because what they did to me, I can't forgive. What they did to me, that hurt me. And I want to get them back. Love does not do that. It does not take into account a wrong endured. Verse 6 says, it does not rejoice at injustice. What's injustice? Unfairness, right? A violation of rights. And each of us have certain rights. That's true. God-given rights. But love does not rejoice at injustice. When there is injustice, when injustice has been administered, love does not rejoice in that. Instead, what love does, it rejoices with the truth. It rejoices when the truth, with the truth, when right and truth prevail. Love finds no pleasure in someone else's sin, even the sin of an enemy. Love does not take pleasure in sin of any kind, but rejoices, but celebrates when the truth is revealed. Love is devoted to truth in everything. And in all these verses, it shows love as being an action. It's not abstract. It's not a feeling. It's not a sentiment. But it's action. Love is action. Amen? This is what love does. This is what love does. Love is devoted to truth in everything. Verse 7 says this. Love bears all things regardless of what comes. And another version says it this way. Love never stops being patient. Love is not anxious. Love is not anxious. What does it say in Philippians again? It says, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything, it says in the New Living Translation, right? Don't worry about anything. 
But instead, what? Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And what? Thank him for all that he's done. Be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious. Love bears all things, regardless of what comes. It never stops being patient. Love believes all things, looking for the best in each one. Love is full of faith. And Hebrews 11.1 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So love is full of faith. It believes all things, and it always believes the best. The best is yet to come, amen? The best is yet to come. And love hopes all things, remaining steadfast during difficult times. How many of you would say that you're an optimist? Be honest. Okay, fair amount of hands. How many of you say you're a realist? Okay. And I probably would raise my hand with that. But love is always optimistic. Love always looks for the best in every situation, always believes the best, and hopes all things. It remains steadfast during difficult times. And love endures all things without weakening. It endures all things. It has endless strength to endure, to patiently endure all things. That's what love does. That's what love does. And then I, I really want to focus on these verses in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. And we're going to look at it, what it, how it says it in the message. Everybody, anybody ever heard of the message version, the message translation? Gives a lot more, you know, um, explanation for the words. And I think a lot of this, uh, the way it's written here, we can really identify with. And in the message Bible, it says, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, it says, love never gives up. Love never gives up. There's been times lately I've wanted to give up. I'll be honest with you. But love never gives up. And love, it says, love cares more for others than for self. Love cares. Love cares. And haven't you noticed lately in this, you know, the culture we're in that it seems more and more like people care less, right? People just don't care. The world doesn't seem to care. But it's, it's natural to care about ourselves. But it is supernatural to care more about others than for ourselves. Amen? And that's what love does. Love does care more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't covet it says in Exodus 20, we shouldn't covet what is our neighbors. Anything that's our neighbors, we shouldn't covet. We shouldn't want it. Be jealous of it. Be envious of it. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. I love the way it says that. You know what it means to strut? Anybody see somebody strut? Anybody know who Conor McGregor is? is that really, can anybody relate with that? Some of you can, maybe. Well, he struts, right? He struts. Can I, can I do it for you? Love struts. Or no, love does not strut. <laughs> love does not strut. But Conor McGregor struts, and he struts like this. And I was hoping my son, my 13-year-old son, would be here because he can do this a lot better than I can. 
But this is strutting, you know, sticking your chest out, strutting your stuff. Was it in my generation? Was that John Travolta? Sorry, anybody remember him strutting? Well, love doesn't strut. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Have you ever said that? Oh, they have it. They got a big head. They got a big head. They think of the, they're they're puffed up, right? Well, love doesn't have a swelled head. Again, James says in James, to God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Love doesn't force itself on others. Love isn't rude or arrogant. Love isn't always about me first. Love isn't self-seeking. It's not me first. When we're the body of Christ, it's we. Amen? It's not me, it's we. We are the body of Christ. Love isn't always me first. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Have you ever seen somebody fly off the handle? Have you ever fly, <laughs> flown off the handle? It's, it's, not, it's about not having, again, I said this before, but uh, it's not easily provoked. We don't allow our buttons to be pushed. Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. And I think we've all done that. We've all done it. Oh, I mean, I may be bad, but I'm not as bad as somebody else because they did more than bad stuff than me. We compare, and the Bible warns us, you know, says not to compare ourselves with others. Says not to do that. But love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Love doesn't revel when others grovel. You know what it means to grovel? The word actually means to lie or crawl with the face downward and the body prostrate, especially in abject humility or fear, being fearful of punishment, being fearful of what they've done, being ashamed of what they've done, and being willing to grovel. Love doesn't take pleasure in that. Doesn't, take, doesn't, doesn't rejoice, doesn't revel in someone else's sin. It takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. And I like the, I like it the way it, it says it there. The flowering of truth. The unveiling, the revealing, the discovering of truth. Love loves the truth. Love puts up with anything. And again, love is the, that all-important ingredient that allows us to bear up with all things. And then it says, love trusts God. 50% of the time. Love trusts God in the good times. No, love trusts God when? Always. Love trusts God. Always. Trust in the Lord with what? All of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Trust God. Love trusts God always. Love always looks for the worst always looks for the best, but sometimes if, we, if we're not careful, we look for the worst, don't we? We think the worst. And a lot of our attitude, is our, or our mindset, is that everything? Is that, does that make a difference? To have the right mindset? To have the right attitude? Love always looks for the best. Love never looks back, but keeps going to the end. 
love never looks back. And you know, sometimes it's easy for us to look back and have remorse or have regret. But how many of you know there's nothing you can do about what's behind you, right? If, we, if we've made mistakes, thank God for the grace of God, amen? That if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Philippians 3. He says in verse 13, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. And just before this in the chapter, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. But he says in verse 13, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Amen? It's like we're in that race in Hebrews, it says, that we we're all in this race. Let us run the race with endurance, fixing our eyes on who? Jesus, because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy, by the way, before him, that was you and me, for the joy that was before him, he was willing to endure the cross despising the shame that, that it came with. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Love never looks back, but keeps going to the end. It has its eye on the prize. It has its eye on something that can't be seen. For you and I as Christians, as believers, the end of that race is where? Heaven. When we get to heaven. And we're in that place where there's, I can tell you one thing, Heaven and earth will pass away, but love will never pass away. And love, there will be love. There will be this wonderful place of love, of the expression of love between each other and God in heaven. Philippians 3, 13. I press on to reach, and for, uh, verse 14 it says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And what I've done is uh, I have made this handout, and it's going to be available as you, leave, as you leave the sanctuary. And it has these verses in the message translation. 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love does whatever it takes. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, it says, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a, a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, and never looks back, but keeps going to the end. And if you would, take one. If whatever door you leave uh, when you leave the church, take one of these. Put it on your Put it on your refrigerator, amen? Somewhere where you can see it and it reminds you of what love does. And I want to encourage you to try and memorize that. Because how many of you know, when you, when you memorize it, you get it in here, it all of a sudden becomes part of your life, amen? So that's available to you in the back. Please take advantage of that. I want to look at 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 8 in the Amplified says, love never fails. It never fades nor ends. It's not like a cell phone, right? How many of you have a cell phone? The battery, what happens to the battery? Fades. It ends. There's no power. 
Love has endless power. It never fails. But as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for the gift of special knowledge, it will pass away. All other spiritual gifts will end. But love never ends. It lasts forever. It is eternal. And 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says in the Amplified, And now there remain faith, which is abiding trust in God and his promises, hope, which is confident expectation of eternal salvation, love, which is unselfish love for others, growing out of God's love for me, these three, the choicest graces. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. And heaven will be a place for the expression of nothing but perfect love toward God and one another. Because love is everlasting. Amen? And love does whatever it takes. Romans 12.9 says this. It says, don't just pretend to love others, but really love them. How many of you have, have pretended to do something? Right? I know when I was a kid, I, we uh, pretended we were, we were G.I. Joes. We had, everybody remember, anybody as old as me remember G.I. Joes? We had G.I. Joes, right? We pretended. But we, it was make-believe, right? It wasn't real. But it says, don't just pretend to love others. Let's make sure our actions, our actions match our words. When we say, I love you. If we're going to call ourselves followers of Christ, let's not just pretend to love others, but really love them. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. John 14, 15 says this. If, just Jesus speaking, if you love me, question mark, if you love me, conditional, then keep my commandments. How many of you say, I love Jesus? Then his word to us is, Keep my commandments. The proof of our faith, you can write this down. Obedience is the proof of our faith. If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. And then he said in John 15, 12, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. And how has Jesus, what is the way Jesus has loved us? Complete sacrifice, right? He gave his life. He was that perfect lamb of God. He was the only one that was qualified to satisfy the demand of a holy God. Jesus was the only one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory. But Jesus was that spotless, sinless lamb of God that died in our place. He was the sacrificial lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And he says, he says, Love each other in the same way I have loved you. And then look with me in Psalms 136, in verse 1. It says this. It says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the, the God of gods. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles. His faithful love endures forever. 
Give thanks to him who made the heavens so skillfully. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who placed the earth among the waters. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights. His faithful love endures forever. The sun to rule the day. His faithful love endures forever. And the moon and the stars to rule the night. His faithful love endures forever. Is there a pattern here? His faithful love endures forever. And evidence of, tangible evidence of his faithful love is the things that he does. The things that he has done. And, and there's 26 verses. And thank God I'm not going to read all 26 of those verses. But every single one is re a recording of what God did for the children of Israel. He delivered them from their enemies. He opened the Red Sea. He defeated the kings. He brought them into the promised land. And this is all evidence of the fact that his faithful love endures forever. And I want to give you a challenge. How many of you want a challenge? This is a weekly challenge. And how many of you know, how many more days till Thanksgiving? What, what is today, the 7th? Thanksgiving is on the 25th. This is the challenge. Each day until Thanksgiving, I want you to write a verse for your own personal Psalm 136. In other words, fill in the blank. What has God done for you? What is evidence that God's faithful love endures forever? Write it down. One a day until Thanksgiving. I'll give you, you want to hear mine? I'll give you mine. These are mine. This is my personal Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord who forgave my sin. Amen? His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord who delivered me from harm. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord who healed my diseases, plural. His faithful love endures forever. And I could look back and say, you healed shingles. You healed all these different diseases that I've had. Thank you, Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord who provided when I was in need. How many of you have ever been in financial need? Give thanks to the Lord who provided when I was in need. Jehovah Jireh, our provider, his faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord who protected my children. How many of you have ever prayed for your kids' protection? How many of you do it on a daily basis? And grandchildren, pretty soon in my, in my life. Grandchildren on the way. Give thanks to the Lord who protected my children and grandchildren. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord who restored my relationship. Amen? His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord who delivered me from addiction. Amen? His faithful love endures forever. I want you, this is the challenge. Write it down. Email me. If you, if you don't have a way to write it down, email me. I'll give you my email address because I think that it's that important. Write your own personal Psalm 136. From now, write a verse each day from now until Thanksgiving. Give thanks to the Lord for doing this 
And it's evidence that his faithful love endures forever. Amen? Love does. Love does. Love does whatever it takes. Look with me in John chapter 15 and 13, in verse 13. It says, there is no greater love. There's no greater. This is Jesus speaking. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Amen? You can't, you can't love any more than that. You can't prove your love any more than that. Jesus laid down his life. He says, nobody took it from me. I laid it down willingly. He gave it. For you, for me. <clears throat> and, and Romans 5 and verse 8 says this. That God demonstrates his own love towards us. You know what it means to demonstrate? You've seen a demonstration, right? It's an action. God demonstrated. God proved his love, his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners. <clears throat> if you don't understand anything else today, let me just make sure everybody's clear. Apart from God, we are sinners, lost, and destined for an eternal separation from him. If he didn't intervene and step in by sending Jesus, because Jesus was the only one that could meet all the qualifications, because Jesus was sinless, spotless. He was the Lamb of God. Pastor Ron says he was our whipping boy, right? He was the one... He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our sin was upon him. And by his stripes, what? We're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's in Isaiah. That, that was written 700 years before it happened. Jesus fulfilled the requirement of a holy God. Because, because God's holy Sin cannot be in his presence. The only way sin could be dealt with was by sending his only son, his one and only son, one and only son, Jesus, to go to the cross, to be the Lamb of God, to be the whipping boy, to be the substitute, the one that took our punishment. God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Separated from God. All have sinned. There's not one that hasn't sinned. Everyone has sinned. And that puts us in one group. All have sinned and come short. We've missed the mark. It separates us. from Our sin separates us from a holy God. And all the good works we do, they mean nothing. That nothing will satisfy. Only the sacrifice of Jesus Christ satisfies the requirement that our sin caused. Christ died for us. He died in our place. Love does whatever it takes, right? And that's what, that's what, that is the ultimate expression of God's love. That in or, rather than have us be separated from him, for all of eternity in a place called hell, he sent his son Jesus to be the sacrifice, to be the substitute for our sin. Amen? Amen. That's what love does. Love does whatever, whatever it takes. Amen?
Let's bow our heads and pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word to us. I thank you for your love that does whatever it takes as evidence, as proof, as demonstrated by the fact that you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us, to be the sacrifice. And in light of that truth, Lord, you call us to turn from that sin, to turn from it, to repent of it, and to put our trust in Jesus as our Savior. And I I am overwhelmed by that love today, Lord. And I am so grateful, Father. And as our heads are bowed, I want to encourage you, if you're listening online or if you're here in in the church this morning, if you've never taken that step of faith, that step of turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus Christ. And I can tell you personally, when I was at UConn, the thing that stopped me from accepting Christ, guess what? It was my sin. I loved it too much. I had to turn from that sin. And by the grace of God, he kept, God wouldn't, wouldn't give up. Thank God. But if you're here this morning, I want to encourage you. If you've never taken that step of faith to receive Jesus Christ, the Bible says by grace we're saved through faith, that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works. You can't do anything that Jesus hasn't already done. You can't do anything to redeem yourself, to save yourself. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So as our heads are bowed, and those of you that know Jesus as Savior, I want you to reaffirm your faith as we pray together. Amen? Dear Heavenly Father, I know that you love me. And you prove that by sending your only Son to die on the cross, to take my punishment I deserved upon himself. I am sorry for my sin. I turn from those things. And I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. I open up my heart. And I receive Jesus to be my Lord, to be my Savior, and to be my soon-coming King. In Jesus' name, amen. 